Welcome to the Art of Healthcare podcast, where we aim to be as good at the human side of healthcare as we are at the clinical side of healthcare. My name is Chris Desmond. I'm a physiotherapist who's fascinated by how we can better help the person with the problem. Join us as we learn how to connect better, how to show up better, and how to understand our patients and ourselves better. Welcome to the Art of Healthcare podcast. Uh, This is a show where we talk with experts about helping the person with the problem. Today, I'm joined by Jennifer George. Jennifer is a physiotherapist. She is the author of Communication is Care, uh, and she is a podcast host of the Healthcare Happy Hour podcast. Uh, Jennifer, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited to be here and chat with you today. I always like to start off with the question, why are you interested in the art of healthcare? Why are you interested in the people side of healthcare? Oh, that's a loaded question. (laughs) It's like, where do I start? So for me personally, I got into physiotherapy 14 years ago now. I got into it out of a personal interest in health, well-being, had my own health transformation, wanted to help people through movement, live healthier. And that's what intrigued me initially. And then my father became sick at in my second year of schooling, so my final year. And then I found myself on a caregiving journey at the time of my practice starting. So I had a personal investment then to be more invested in people at that time than just movement, so to speak, right, as being the solution. So yeah, it became more involved in interactions and connection and presence and seeking outcomes through that avenue, just as much as our technical skill set. So kind of through your whole career, you have been, you've been interested in the, in the people side of healthcare. I'm just wondering, not everyone is. From the get go, I'm wondering if you if you've noticed anything, any differences between yourself and your colleagues in the way that patients responded to you, or the way that you approached situations. Yeah, I can speak if it's okay. I'd like to highlight like interactions with students because I think, like, just looking back at my own career when I was a student, not having had this personal lived experience of caregiving. You know, you're kind of coming out of school with just training, right? You're really not taught how to, without getting into conflict, you're, you're kind of taught to put yourself aside, yourself aside and the self aside and just taught about knowledge and skills and evidence-informed care and things like that, right? So when I have students come in through the practice, like through practice and they're learning, I find that their knowledge is quite good. I find that they already know quite enough, but where they struggle is the overwhelm from not feeling like they've connected or that they have that they've done enough for someone and you know I've had one student say I don't know how to empathize with somebody because I haven't experienced what they've experienced and my response to that and that's so awesome right that he had that self-awareness but my response to that is is empathy is really just trying to understand it doesn't mean you have to go through the same suffering exactly but it's just trying to understand and being present in that way. So these are the things that students don't really get hands-on practice with until they're in, you know, their placements essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And I a hundred percent agree with that. It's that it's the, 
we come out of we come out of our various professional trainings with a whole lot of facts and a whole lot mm-hmm. of knowledge about the body and how it works, but typically with very little kind of guidance in the area of empathy or compassion or connection or looking after ourselves as healthcare professionals as well, all of which are really, really important. And today we wanted to have a chat about empowering patient partnerships. And I think uh, everyone has a therapeutic relationship with their part, uh, with their patient, whether they like it or not, whether they're aware of it or not, there is a therapeutic relationship that is going on there. And uh, empowering patient partnerships is, is one of the ways that we can really sort of move the needle on, on how, on how we deliver healthcare. But I guess kind of the, the first question is what is a patient partnership? What do we, what do we understand that to mean? Yep. So like you said, it's already embedded in the therapeutic relationship. It just depends on the type of relationship it is. Is it an empowering one or is it, is it one that's, that creates codependence and disempowerment? So patient empowerment specifically is kind of the process in which a patient learns, understands, and is able to be an active participant in their care and in their health care moving forward, right? So a partnership is kind of that open communication, that collaboration. It's not authoritative. There's an equal balance there of knowledge and expertise of the professional, I guess you can say, and then the the patient bringing their own expertise of themselves and who they are and, you know, what choices they want to make. There's always an inherent imbalance, I think, because there is, you know, the provider is the expert. And I think we walk into that, but I think as professionals knowing that, we can try to level it out as much as possible so that, you know, we're giving patients more choice in the process. It's not always an easy thing, though, because not every patient wants to be empowered. And I think that's the challenge sometimes in healthcare. But when I think of the pandemic right now and what we're going through in this fourth wave, for example, um, you know, I just think that healthcare is a community-wide issue. It's not just providers on the front lines, you know, handling all of this. It's all of us who are needed. All hands are on deck. And at some point, we're going to have to take responsibility for our own health and well-being. So why not start when, you know, when you're in the hands of or, you know, in the presence of a provider who can help guide you there, right? So. Mm, mm. Yeah, and that's a that's a really interesting point that not everyone wants to be empowered. And I guess there's there are like everything, there's a range of of people who come and see us. Some only need a little bit of help to be empowered, or some some actually just need a little bit of knowledge to be empowered. Yep. And and others need a whole lot. Others come to us and and see us and and want. So want to be fixed and want us yeah. to, to do all the work. And sometimes we can do a little bit of fixing, but usually it's up to the it's up to the patient. When you when people are coming to when people see you, Jennifer, and who who don't want to be empowered, who don't want who want you to fix them, how do you go? How do you approach those interactions? Because I think they're the they're the really interesting ones. Yes. And there, I ask a lot of questions. I, I ask 
people to be really specific about what they want and what that looks like for them and why it matters to them. I ask a lot about their history, you know, what brought them to this point. I think it's important to help our patients as well recognize themselves as whole. And I think when when people fall ill, they start to lose a sense of themselves too. And they start to lose um, awareness of how they got to that point until they get to that point. And then where healthcare comes in is it's like, we're, we're like the end, really. We're not the front line. We're like the last line for a lot of patients, right? So, you know, their lives have spiraled. I work in an inpatient rehab setting, for example. So, and I have a lot of patients who have been not well for a long time. And one of the questions lately I find myself asking is, when was the last time you felt well? When was the last time you felt fully independent? And, you know, it could be over a year ago that people, when they honestly look back, have felt that. And then asking questions about the timeline of that to help them understand that maybe it's not just the diagnosis that's the issue and the physical issue, right? But it could be a whole slew of detriments that that were part of that that issue to begin with that kind of all came together. And I think part of our role as providers is then helping patients navigate through that as well, not just helping them with the with what they think is the only issue or what they know is the only issue based on a diagnosis that they may have received. Yeah, yeah. And we we are the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff often. And and to kind of throw another analogy in there, they people often come and see us because the straw has broken the camel's back. Sometimes the way that we do healthcare, the focus is really on that straw and taking off that particular straw. Whereas if we if we address some of the other straws that are on this camel's back, take them off, which may be easier to remove, then we can really help improve people's health outcomes as well. But it is a it's a yeah. difficult one for people to hear. Jennifer. Yeah. So not everybody wants to go down that road, right? Not everyone wants to go down that road. So that's where all the like so like you had asked how I approach that. It's, it is, it's constant question asking. It's not in one session, it's over time. So, yeah. I've got a couple of other questions, but I'm going to pull on this thread a little bit more, actually. Uh, sure. <laughs> what are your thoughts on actually giving people what they want, even if it's not going to empower them? Oh, this is a tough one because... I reflect over the course of my career, when I first worked in orthopedics, the first thing that comes to mind when you ask this question is when MDs would make referrals for patients who who they thought needed pool therapy or needed ultrasound. And I I know we've all been there, but back then, like, I'm going to be honest, my training didn't prepare me for these things, right? So if I didn't feel secure in my myself and my knowledge and my understanding and my awareness of another of the patient in front of me it would be hard to it would be just easier to just do what the doctor said right the patient wouldn't know any better they would you know so for me it's been just having a conversation about it and just saying you know we could do this for example this is the benefit this is the risk right that we're always informing but we could also do this and are you capable of doing more perhaps at this point and making patients aware of the fact that more isn't necessarily a bad thing but it just depends on where they're at so I, i'm all about meeting people where they're at but I'm also about opening that window of this is how far we can go. This is this is where I see you going. Because I think at the end of the day, patients want to know is, am I going to be okay? Right. That that's the one thing they want they want from you as a provider is that 
that reassurance that you can help them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I had a really interesting conversation with someone the other day and, and he, his, his line was rapport is your patient's belief that you can help them solve their problem. Yeah. I, actually, I really, I really like that. It's not talking about their cat, although that is important as well. And I think with, with, with that being said as well, like what the, where my, I'm sitting with it at the moment is that sometimes it's okay to give people a little bit of what they want. I would have no idea how to do ultrasound, so I probably wouldn't do that. It just depends. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't even know if I have access to an ultrasound machine, to be honest. <laughs> doing doing a little bit of hands-on manual therapy, although the jury's out on a lot of that stuff, mm -hmm. alongside having a conversation with people as I'm, as I'm doing that and talking about goals and talking about aspirations and where we need to get to and then taking them and working on heading towards those goals as well. It's kind of where, where I'm landing on it at the moment. And I think like, this is a big kind of philosophical argument that we could get into. And I don't think there's a whole lot of research around it, but I, I guess if, if people believe that it's going to be helpful, then it's potentially more likely to work. And it's potentially more likely to help them trust you as well and form that, that patient partnership. Yeah, totally. And there's nothing wrong with that if it's not harming someone, right? I, I don't think like what's the worst that could happen. Again, if you're weighing the risks, the benefits, like okay. if it helps, why not, right? And I mean, that's with language too, right? The way we, we frame things and the way we speak like that in itself is you can say a placebo sometimes depending on how we uh, communicate, right? And I'm always trying to communicate in a way that is positive, not misleading, but positive, open. You know, I think that's super important. Like what I, what I, I mean, I could take this pretty far, but when I look at like our assessment forms, for example, traditionally speaking, they're all focused on problems. They're all focused on limitations, not really so much on possibilities, not so much on things like that, right? If I could revamp <laughs> our assessments and, and forms in that way too, they would be reframed a little differently than they traditionally are. Mm. Yeah. And I think there's, I, I think there's ideas starting to shift in the healthcare sector and I'm starting to see a lot more of kind of a strength-based approach to some forms that are coming out. Obviously I kind of move in a little bit of the bubble and, and where I get to look. Uh, so potentially it's not happening everywhere but at least some people are starting to talk about it which is cool yeah jennifer i guess like what happens if we don't form a positive partnership with our patients like where do, where does that outcome go i think everything else will fall short truthfully i think that it depends why you get into healthcare too like for me i got into healthcare to have a lasting impact on people so that they could manage their health confidently moving forward. And I think that one of the biggest things is when a patient comes back, you know, over time comes back and visits you or sees you or whatnot and says, it just remembers you and remembers the impact you had or some of the things that they learned from you. I think that speaks volumes. So for me, it's like creating that lasting impact. And I think it's important as clinicians to ask ourselves why we got into healthcare to begin with in order to create those partnerships moving forward. Because if we're coming from a state of chaos and overwhelm and burnout and stress, but yet we're supposed to help somebody, 
it's just not going to it's just not going to align truthfully. So I think that's and that's the struggle right now in healthcare, you know, with burnout and everything else going on is how do we create these positive partnerships and how do we empower patients when we ourselves sometimes are feeling disempowered within our own lives or our practice. Mm. And I don't think it's particularly a new problem either. I think it's a COVID has maybe shone a spotlight on it a little bit more and, and it probably increased the statistics around it, but there are horrific numbers pre-pandemic in regards to the people burning out, at least here in New Zealand, and I'm assuming that um, in a lot of other countries as well. And I think the the reminder to people is, yeah, why why did you get into healthcare in the first place? Is a really it's a really good one. I read I read that in your book actually, and <laughs> I was like, why did I get into healthcare in the first place? Definitely wasn't for the money. Exactly. I think it was. I think for me, it was actually I got into physiotherapy when I figured I never got I was never going to make it as a professional sportsman, and I still wanted to be involved. But then things then things evolved over time as well. So I think we, especially when you've been working for over five years, so you're you're 14 years now. I'm 15 years. The reasons that I want to be in healthcare different to not making it as a professional athlete, which is good, which is good. So I think kind of having that check in on a regular basis is, is important for you as well. Yeah. I love that you're reflecting on that. I, I definitely agree. It definitely evolves. And I think another question to ask yourself is, you know, what, what kind of practice do you envision for yourself too? like moving forward? And are you going in that direction? Are you feeling aligned? You know, it's very easy to just get stuck in the motions and mm. just go day to day, but that'll wear on you at some point. And that's where, you know, the breakdown, so to speak, happens to yeah. become more self-aware. Can you elaborate on that? When you say, what sort of practice do you want to have in the future? What do you mean by that? I mean, isn't, isn't there just a pathway that we're supposed to follow as health professionals? <laughs> well, that's, that's exactly it. No, <laughs> I think that we create our path. And, you know, when I have, again, when I have students come into the practice and I'm supposed to be there as a mentor, I, I trust the knowledge. And most oftentimes they come prepared with that already. And if it's not there, we can reference it. But what I want them to understand is where do you see yourself in healthcare? Where do you see yourself in, in giving your gifts? Where do you see yourself of value here? Because the system, there is a system, right? There is a system we have to operate in. But how could I bring my full self to this system and feel of value and offer value to my patients and a lasting impact moving forward? So for me, like it was working and I prefer to work in the public system as opposed to the private system. That's one of the things that I enjoy. I worked in a lot of different sectors. I worked in long-term care. I worked in orthopedics, you know, at a private clinic. I did the private sector and I really liked a lot of it, but it wasn't what I loved and it didn't align with me. It wasn't until I got into rehab over eight years ago that I realized that this was like home for me. This is where I just was naturally able to extend myself. I wasn't in my own head. I wasn't in my own way. I was just, I felt aligned with it and pulled towards it. It doesn't mean it's easy. There's a lot of stress that's involved, right? That doesn't mean that you're going to find something that's stress-free. But do you still feel like you're in the right place, in a good place? Do you, do you trust that inner guidance, that inner being that's connected to your outer work as you're you know, as you're moving along, I think it's important to 
to check in with that. And it's okay if you're not, right? I think that's not a bad sign that you're outgrowing something or changing directions. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really, that's a really cool point as well as that, again, you evolve over time as well. I mean, do you think that the, the rehab setting is, that's where you're going to stay? I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> you're funny, Chris. <laughs> um, so I know you are. I love rehab. I think that if, if I wasn't, I don't know what else I'd be practicing in the realm of physio if I wasn't in the rehab setting. So let's put it that way. But it's changing and it's, it's becoming more challenging. It's more complex. I love it just the same, but I'm learning to adapt to the challenges and the changes. And this is what I mean. It's like, you know, my heart is in it. I love it. I love the front lines. I learn something all the time. I'm always growing. But at the same time, I work in a bigger system. And, you know, how can I work in this system but still feel fulfilled in my, in my practice? And that's the challenge of working in public health, right? So, you know, you do operate in a system outside of yourself too, unless you're your own, you know, your own clinic owner or something like that. Can you fully design your practice the way you Yeah. And I think even in the, in the private sector, there are constraints around how practices can be designed due to <laughs> funding constraints from insurers and, and what people are prepared to pay as well. But I think that, that yeah, that's a really interesting point as well is that what, what happens if you end up in a place that you, that you love, but then the system starts to wear you down? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's, that's a challenging question because I think that there's always a greater force at play, like you said, whether it's funding, whether it's things outside of our control. So I find that while it's important to look at the big picture, I find that wherever I can control things, that's, it gives me the most autonomy and that's where I focus. I also think that, you know, you, if you're working in, if you're, if you're going through the motions of an environment that you're not happy with for too long, it ends up becoming a toxic one. And I experienced that where I tried to fit into a framework that I tried to change things. I tried to push on things and they just, it wasn't just going the way that aligned with me. And eventually I had to leave, but I think it's important to give it all you've got before you even get to that point and just if you're working in like public health system like I am, where you can't really change things so directly, is to just, that what I've always done is focus on one patient at a time and create that moment to moment impact where I can and find autonomy where I can in my practice. Yeah. And I think it's, sometimes it's those small things that we can do is that, I mean, rather than kind of reinventing everything is like, can I change this one small way that I do this task that isn't going to get me in a whole heap of trouble, but is going to give me a little bit more joy as I perform it. Exactly. And just, and if you're lucky enough to work with a good team or even one good team member that you trust, that you have a good relationship with, that'll go a, like a long ways as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes actually having, having conversations and bringing things to light and, and sometimes you've got to be a bit courageous about these, these things. Uh, but sometimes there's a little bit of toxicity because people aren't aware of the yeah. way that they're doing things. And sometimes, sometimes our colleagues talk to us like we're their patients and they're just kind of dictatorial. But when you, when you kind of shine a spotlight on them and say, Hey, actually, look, you're, you're communicating this way with me. They'll just turn around and say, Oh, wow. 
I'm really sorry. I didn't, I didn't hook that. Can you call me out on it next time? Um, and hopefully I'll be a little bit better. Yeah. And that, and I think it's important to understand if, you know, what people's intentions are, right? And if their intention might not be to be, be that way, but that's, that's just because they're an automatic pilot. They're not aware, like you said. And when you make people aware, it, you know, it's a good thing, but it's, it's also a challenging thing too, to, to do that. I know for me, like I can be a people pleaser by nature. So it would take a lot for me to eventually come to that point. Better now than I was then, but but now, yeah, but just having experienced all of those dynamics over the course of my career too, like it was very challenging going through all of that, but but it really did make me a more empowered healthcare provider and, and then me myself being empowered, I'm now better able to empower my patients. Like I mentioned before, if you are not a provider who feels like you have autonomy over your practice, who feels like you can set healthy boundaries in your practice, who who isn't prioritizing their own well-being, it's really hard to then encourage your patients to do that because it's just out of integrity. It's out of alignment, right? It, yeah, and you yeah. just feel like you're falling short. Yeah. And I mean, this is the, we've, we've rabbit holed a little bit here, but I think this is all stuff around building building partnerships with people. Um, and I think that we're probably all a little bit people pleasers having got into healthcare. That's, that's probably one of the things that has led us here. And our work is really busy and our work is really hard and our work is really challenging. And sometimes that's all we do is we just focus on that task in front of us, that next person, that next thing that we need to do, which doesn't really give us a whole heap of chance for reflective practice or for self-awareness even though they talk about that during our professional training programs they don't probably give us the tools to do it so if, if someone is if someone does want to start to build a little bit more awareness around themselves and their practice how do they start to go about doing that do the is there a process that you use for me writing has been a strong uh, practice for me. So just writing and writing about the day or how I'm feeling about the day. Another thing I do is I, I, I do talk outwardly with other people because I think sometimes our own perception can be either over-exaggerated or under-exaggerated. And so sometimes I like to get feedback from other people who are in the same situation to, to hear other perspectives. Myself, I can be kind of a catastrophic thinker. I can be a worrier. So if I think something went a lot worse than it might have actually did, it really helps to hear the feedback that, you know, it, it was all good, right? <laughs> that I'm in my head again, right? So sometimes that helps. I really think it's important for if you are part of a team and I don't, I mean, we don't do this in our practice. I, I wish we would more, but if you have the chance to do it in yours is to do like a, a reflection of a situation as a team and talk about how you and I think they call it Schwartz rounds, essentially at a bigger scale. But basically, you have a panel of team members who are part of a patient situation or a case that happened, whether it was positive or negative, and but where it was impactful. And then you share your role in that, and you share your feelings around it and your learnings around it. And then there's actually an audience there that actually also listens in and learns from it and connects with it. And I think that something like that would be really powerful in our settings as clinicians, because I think sometimes we can feel really alone in the overwhelm and you can look easily at somebody else and think they have it all together when really they're also 
you know, breaking down, but they just look different, right? They just look like they have it all together. So I think, you know, it's important to also reflect that way. And that's partly why I put out the podcast. And that's partly why I, I do podcasts as well is because I want people to know that they're not alone on this journey as a provider and, you know, to be more self-aware and it's not a bad thing to, to notice our strengths and our weaknesses. It's therapeutic for you as well. Yeah, I love talking totally. podcasts because I get to find out heaps of stuff about what I think. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I get to connect with people like yourself from all over. And I feel like it only makes me a better provider. I, I just mm. love learning from other people. And I'm not so much the person who's in the textbooks, right? I'm, I'm more like I just love having these conversations and evolving that way. Yeah, I'm becoming just more conscious of my practice. Yeah. And not everyone should start a podcast um, because no. they are a lot of work as well. But, but having had those conversations and I think like, one of the things that you were talking about before that an, an idea just flashed into my head is that we do, we do clinical case studies where we sit in a room and we talk with our colleagues um, and, and with other health professionals about complex cases that we've had and how did this go for your patient and what did you try, what did you do and what were the outcomes? Yeah. Whereas actually, let's just flip that. Like, why don't we just get in a room and talk about a complex case and talk about the challenges that we face as providers right. along the way? Is like, how did I feel when this happened? Actually, that was really, really tough. I had to go home and go out for a run because I was really, really frustrated with with this. Right. Yeah. Bringing yourself to that, right? Not just the tools you brought to the situation, but yeah bring in your own emotion into it. And I think, again, I know from my own learnings when I was in school, it was kind of like to shelf your emotions all the time. So I think for me, when I became a caregiver too, like I was, you know, I was feeling a lot of emotion on that side of things too. So it was really hard for me not to connect with people who were struggling with their health and who other caregivers who were struggling seeing their loved ones struggle. Like that was hard for me to discern between, you know, so that I wasn't in the midst of a conflict, so to speak, right? But I think that's the problem with healthcare providers is we don't allow ourselves to feel. We're just so used to helping other people and we go from one situation to the next and we don't take the time to process. So I'm always having conversations with my colleagues about patient care and about about things, but it's always on the go. Never do we have like a, a dedicated time where, like you said, we can just sit and talk about it and how we felt around it as well. Those are th that kind of time is on my time, and it's up to me to to do that. But we're not really allotted that, which is a shame actually, because well, I I, I don't know if there's a whole lot of research on it, but I think that my my feeling on it is that should be <laughs> yeah, there should be research on it, but but also. You're going to get better patient outcomes if you are more aware of the way that you practice and then the impact that that is going to have on people. Exactly. Exactly. It just can't be any other way. I just don't see it being any other way. I think you'll get results. I think you'll get outcomes, but I also think you'll get a lot of people coming back through the system. I think you'll have, I mean, again, the, the onus is also on the patient, the responsibility, but you know, our role is to be there, to be present, to be with our patients on their journey and to know that they can always come back to us if they need us, right, at some point. So I think oh, keeping that door open, like I know that over the course of my career in rehab, I've had patients leave my care and like weeks later, I'll get a phone call about 
maybe accessing a clinic. Like, you know, because they just remembered that I helped them, you know, navigate while they were with me, right? And who else do they go to? So it's kind of cool to come full circle that way. But yeah, I think it's always good to just kind of keep that open door, so to speak, where patients know that you're still that you're still supporting them, even if they're, you're not part of their care team anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if we don't, if we don't foster that partnership, then actually we lose the ability to continue to help someone down the track as well. And also we make it harder for the next person that tries yeah, to help exactly. them as well. Exactly. And that's, and that's, you see that a lot. You see that the, I want to say passing the buck, but it is kind of sometimes passing the buck to the next provider, the next service that that's next in line, so to speak. So yeah, if we just kind of stopped with us and, and empowered our patients to access resources or facilitated that process, it, it could do a lot of good if they're open to receiving it. Mm. Jennifer, tomorrow, or depending on when someone's listening to this podcast this afternoon. Yes. What can they, like practically, what can they go and do to build an empowering patient partnership? Like what should they, they do with the next patient that they see? I think it's important to, I think it's important to ask more questions. I think that it's important to have the end result talked about in the beginning. So if a patient comes in and they talk about their goal, and you know as a clinician the goal is maybe far reached or you know yourself as a clinician your potential to help them get there i think it's okay to start having those conversations about the end kind of early on in the process so sometimes for me again working in public health we operate in a system so i'll say the average stay let's say is two to three weeks here if your goal is to walk, let's say, I'll say something like, would you be also open to walking independently gate aid? And then it's like, oh, okay. Like if I, you know, if I'm like, if it's just temporary, if that's where we're at, at that point is, well, that, would that be okay? And so having those questions early on, or sorry, that conversation early on, I think is important because when the time comes that funding runs out or the length of stay has to end, because again, we're the healthcare system. There's no overwhelm, right? There's no last minute panic. You, they've been prepared because you've been dripping this conversation along, along the way in every interaction. So I think it's okay to approach those challenging conversations early if you think they need to be approached and not to save them for the very end because I think it just creates more overwhelm for the patient for you. Also be sensitive along the way, because sometimes things are hard to hear for patients, right? It's so it might seem, and sometimes I'll say, you know, it, this might seem like a bit much, but I'm just letting you know so that I can help you through this every step of the way. You know, when you come back in or when I see you again, you know, we'll talk more about it. We don't have to have it all figured out right now, but just kind of opening the door to, I think, to their end goal is important mm. and not just having it overlooked in an assessment, right? Yeah. And I really like the way that you framed that as well as that mm -hmm. this is hard to hear and we don't need to have it all figured out at the moment, yeah. but here are some, here are some options that yeah. might be possible. Yeah. And then I'm here with you. So one of the things I'll always say to patients is I'm with you. 
I'm with you. Like, and I find myself doing that a lot lately, especially if even if it's just during a treatment and they're trying to work towards something in the in the in that session. You know, just say I'm with you, I'm with you, and I think that just rings true across the board for them, not literally just in that moment, but they just they know that you know I'm a source of support and an anchor of encouragement throughout their stay. Mm, mm. And actually, one of the things that I that I enjoyed in your book as well, and I'm probably going to butcher how you how you uh, posed it, but it was the idea that the patient didn't think that they could do it, but right. yeah. that you believed in them. Yeah. So they had to go and they managed to do it. Yeah. And this is our, so you didn't butcher that at all. <laughs> that was great actually. But this is where, this is where our gifts come in as healthcare providers. You know, we see things, we know things, and we that knowledge that we've built over the years is for, not for nothing, right? It, it does help us create a picture. And I think it's important that if all of, you know, if those things are all lining up from a knowledge scale and uh, cognitively and emotionally, um, you think someone's there, then I think it's okay to say, you know, you have this potential and, and open the opportunity up for them to to run with it basically in the safest way possible. So, yeah. So I think that comes from a deep sense of empathy too, but also empowering a patient as well. If they're feeling disempowered sometimes, you know, if they trust you enough. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Jennifer, if people are interested in finding out more about you and in, in the work that you do, what, where can they go to do that? Like how's the, how's the best way for them to find? So they can go to my website. It's jennifergeorge.co. My, my podcast is called the healthcare provider happy hour. So if they want to check that out as well. And on Instagram is where I would say I'm most present. So my handle there is at best obsessed with Jen. So they can check me out there and I'd be happy to, to chat and have more conversations around this. Awesome. And I'll put all those links in the, in the notes for the show as well. Jennifer, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thanks so much for for joining me today. It's it's been it's been awesome. Thank you. Thanks for all you're doing too. All right, Jennifer. Question for you now. Well, question. Yes. Really meta, actually. Like, can you pose oh, a question boy. for our, uh, for our the art of healthcare team in regards to in regards to extending our scope in this area of practice and whether that's building patient partnerships, whether it's building our own awareness, what's a, what's a question to challenge us with or a couple? I think a good question. Yeah, I think. Okay. So I think one question to ask yourselves is empowered a patient today as a patient walked away from me feeling empowered today. In other words, able to maintain and manage their health, find independence where they can. I think that's one thing. And then the second thing from a personal side is that I think these are more reflective than they are at the beginning of the day type thing. But, you know, have I betrayed myself today? Have I, have I done something or have I, have I consented to something that really I didn't want to do? Right. So, like I said, people pleasing, not setting boundaries, you know, agreeing to things that maybe systematically you don't agree with but you're trying to appease your boss or your employer. I think asking yourself about whether you're, you are aligned and haven't betrayed your sense of integrity is important. Yeah. As a provider. Yeah. Awesome questions. Thank you for that. (laughs) I know they're reflective, but. (laughs) Oh, that's, that's simple. That's important. Yeah. That's, that's all. That's what I'm about. I've been doing this a long time. So I, I mean, for me, these are things that are difficult. 
for me to think about anymore. Oh, I'm going to stop the record. That is a wrap. Thanks everyone for tuning into the show. If you've enjoyed it, then make sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any of the weekly episodes. If you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is to share this out with a mate that you reckon might enjoy it. And if you want to enhance your skills in this area even more, then watch out for the Art of Healthcare community coming in August 2021. It's a truly interdisciplinary space for us to upskill our art. If you want a sneak peek, for more info, head over to artofhealthcare.mn.co. That's artofhealthcare.mn.co. And a couple of quick thank yous. First of all, thank you to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. And thank you to you guys for joining me as we look to improve our art.